This, 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 this is mythical. Welcome to Ear Biscuits. I'm Rhett. And I'm Link. Joining us today at the round table of dim lighting is YouTuber, vlogger, filmmaker, producer, actress, and comedian, Anna Akana. Anna's a jack of all trades content creator. She writes, directs, and stars in her productions, which are some of the highest quality produced videos on YouTube. The special effects in her short films are impressive, and the costumes look like something you see on a sci-fi channel series. Hello. Just take a look at the short films like Miss Earth, Here She Is, and of course, one of the most popular web series out there, Riley Rewind, which she both wrote and starred in. She also has made a name for herself with her polished comedic vlogs on her channel that are one of the coolest combinations of vlogging and sketch comedy that we've seen. Here's a clip from one called Types of Toxic Friends. We've all had or been toxic friends at one point or another in our lives, but sometimes it takes you a while to recognize who they are or when you're being one. There's the copycat. Do you like my new outfit? I mean, I guess it looks a little bit like yours. It's exactly the same. Are you copying me? Are you copying me? The negative Nancy. I can't believe I got that promotion. So much extra responsibility, so much stress. The social climber. I heard you're like friends with like a famous person. Can we be friends? I like jogging too, hi. If you have a toxic friend in your life and talking things out just isn't gonna work, then break it off. Pull the plug. Nothing healthy is gonna come from that relationship. Do it right now. Do it right now. I'll do it right now. Anne is also known for her involvement in the suicide prevention community due to the very unfortunate loss of her sister in 2007. She really opened up about it in her emotional YouTube video called Please Don't Kill Yourself in 2013. Uh, she received a lot of positive feedback from the video and quickly became an inspiring voice for suicide prevention. Here's a clip. I've been pretty open about the fact that uh, my sister committed suicide in 2007. And I've been getting a lot of questions from people on the internet of like, I want to kill myself, what should I do? If you commit suicide, I don't even know, like, I don't even know what would happen to you. All I really know is what happens to the people around you after you die. I think it'll be really, really hard for your family to live normally for a long time. We appreciated Anna's willingness to talk candidly in this biscuit about her sister's suicide and how it made her who she is today. Uh, her past relationship with Ray William Johnson and what it's like to be one half of a YouTube power couple. Her vow to be single for a year and how that really didn't pan out. And the many creative projects that she's juggling right now. We know you're gonna enjoy our conversation with Anna. But first, we wanna mention our sponsor, EF College Break. EF College, what? EF College Break. They make travel easy, affordable, and even more fun for anyone ages 18 to 28, college not required. You know, traveling around the world is one of the most exciting things you can do, especially when you are young. But it is logistically difficult to travel right, to get the most rewarding experience. It takes a lot of planning. You gotta book flights, lodging, transportation when you're there. You gotta figure out where to go, what to see, when to see it. It's a lot of work and you have to do it all on your own. Or you could let the EF College Break expert travelers do all of that for you. Why let them do it? Because it's their job and they are pros. They can take care of booking flights, lodging, transportation while you're there, site and event coordination, and provide you with a tour director who is a local expert. 
They built group trips across six continents with everything from trekking Machu Picchu, cruising the Greek Isles, and getting acquainted with Thailand. And almost half of college break travelers sign up solo, so even if you sign up by yourself, you will not be alone on your trip. Not only are you gonna have an amazing experience in a new place, or new places all over the world, but you're gonna be meeting new people, making lifelong friends by sharing those experiences with them. It doesn't have to be intimidating to plan a trip outside of the country and EF College Break makes it possible. I'm looking on the site right now, how does this sound? A 10 day Costa Rican adventure. Oh, and I love Costa Rica, there's wood down there. I bring back bowls for people like Link. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, how about an eight day escape to London and Paris? Sounds good, or a 10 day grand tour of Spain. The world is out there. It's waiting to be explored and the planning's already been done. Yes, head over to our special URL, great way to support the show and enrich your own life. Go to efcollegebreak.com slash retinlink and we'll hook you up with an extra $100 off your next adventure. That's right, $100 off using efcollegebreak.com slash retinlink. And now on to the biscuit. The first time we met, maybe, in, Maybe the last time we saw each other. Yes. Because when you showed up just a few minutes ago, you mentioned it as if the last time we saw each other, and I was thinking it's the first time. It, Julian Smith's birthday party. Pool party. Yeah. Sm small private party. Uh, you and Ray were there. Mm. This was. This was. It was over three. a year ago. No, it might have been. It wasn't three. It was probably I'd two say, years I'd ago. Say two years. Two. Yeah. Two years ago, and um, first thing you said to us was. I love your Star Trek Middle School Musical, which just came out. It like been out less than a week, and it wasn't doing well. It what? wasn't. It wasn't one of our. It, it never became one of our more popular middle school musicals. We did Breaking Bad after that, which was a lot more successful. Mm -hmm. um, so I was kind of disappointed, but I immediately liked you as a person. <laughs> I liked you as a creator because I knew us. some <laughs> of, some of your work. But yeah, I was like, oh, compliment right off the bat. Yeah. It's easy to like people who like you, and if you like my stuff, especially stuff that people aren't liking, I'm like, oh, she's great. Oh that yeah, Anna has always been great. Oh because yeah, because you you push the right button on that one, even if you weren't even being sincere. No, which I totally now you was. Can tell me. I love that you guys make so much like high quality, legit production value stuff. I I really appreciate and admire that. And uh, plus, Star Trek. It was that your jam or something? No, I don't. I didn't even like Star Trek, but I watched it and I was like, now I get the appeal of Star Trek, and it's like more entertaining because kids are singing to me. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Interesting that you. Okay, so what do you? You're obviously into sci-fi and stuff because yes. you're you like to put people into costumes that look like they're from Star Wars. Yeah. So, are you a Star Wars girl? I, I vaguely like Star Wars. That was all like a little bit before my time, so I'm more into like dystopian YA novels and okay. that whole jam. Got it. Yeah. Dystopia what? Dystopian uh, young adult. Oh, YA novels. Yes, YA novels. Okay. The YA novels. I, I don't even know what the word dystopia means. Yeah, you do. It's the in, it's the yeah. Armageddon, man. It's, you it's know, like when the things- the antithesis of utopia. When things hit the fan, man. Oh, oh well then I, I do know what it is. I just didn't know that's what that meant. Well, welcome to 2015, right? <laughs> Listen, this, I, I'm, I'm Listen, I'm setting the stage to be totally open and honest here, and if anyone doesn't know what any words mean besides me, feel free at any point to say that. But are, so dystopian uh, YA novels, what, yeah. what, what, do these, what do these do to the psyche? What, what's, what, why does it resonate with you? 
Um, I like speculative fiction. I like imagining what the future is going to be like, what kind of class systems we have, what our monetary systems are like. And with YA novels in particular, you get like that, that like really cute love story with mm-hmm. it. So I'm like, yeah. ooh, yay, sci-fi and a boy. So are, you, are you hopeful about the, the future or do you think it is it, we are going to be in a dystopian future? I think it'll be kind of the same as now where there's a lot of <laughs> happening, but it's still a pretty nice place to live. Are you a prepper? No. You're, I should be. You're not so prepared. You're a, you're a prep prepper. I'm not prepped for the earthquakes. But but, but I, you're prepping to prep? Yeah. I like mentally tell myself, oh, I should get more water. Like Oprah is apparently bussing in water because of the drought. I was like, I should do that. You need water. Yeah. We all need water. No, what you need is a friend who is a prepper or, or an aspiring prepper, and then he'll buy stuff for you. Uh, I do have a friend who's a prepper. He built this property out in the desert and has like guns and like water, and so really, yeah. So he's and like, I said he because I was referring to Rhett. Oh, but you you have a he too. It could have been a she. Yeah, I have a he. What's his first name? His uh, I don't want to say. You don't even want to say his I first name. I don't want to say his first name. I, I Can you give hedged. us the address of that desert compound? N- no, because we'll be there as soon as the big one hits. Why can't you say his first name? I'm di- because he might because listen he's to a prepper. This. He might listen to this. Say a name that's not his first name, and we'll talk to him as if he's that guy. We'll say his name is Ben. Okay, Ben is out in the desert. He's got mm-hmm. guns. He's got water. Mm-hmm. Wow, I got to get to know this Ben. You should. It's so prepper to like not even give out your real name. I love it. Like that's perfect. <laughs> he, he probably doesn't even give you his real name. You well, know? he's a known figure, so I don't want to. Oh, yeah. we're getting closer now. Yeah. Does he so live in the compound or does this, he just have No, he it? just bought it. Oh, it's a bug out location. Yeah. So he's an actor. No, but in the industry, yes. Okay, we're getting yeah. closer. See, See you I... don't dangle stuff like this for me on an ear biscuit because I cannot let it go. Well, first of all, Link's going to be at my house, okay? I mean, that's what's going to happen with him, and I'm probably going to be at my bug out location that he doesn't mm-hmm. know about. You know, I'm going I'm to bug out to my location, and Link's going to be at my home. With the stuff that you left. No me. way I'm staying in the valley in the middle of a oh, you know, no. tragedy. You know? No, the city would be the worst place oh, to be. Oh, gotta get out. Yeah. Have you seen uh, Not Ben's Bunker? I have not. I just know that it was purchased and where it is. Oh, man. Is I he a conspiracy theorist or is he just? Uh, he's a little mentally unstable. He's a director. <laughs> Maybe. Yep. It's mentally unstable equals director. <laughs> yeah, equals anyone in this business. Are, are, okay, but it's interesting that you know about it. That means that you're invited. I am. I am invited to the bunker should things ever go down. That's a, you know what? You, uh, you, you're way ahead of me. Did the invitation come with like, you take it out and it's like, well, what is this like little vellum piece of paper? Yeah, oh, that doesn't you have, have, pee, you have to it. pee on it and then you see what's written. No, on. it's all verbal. Nothing can be recorded or written down. Except on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we met that day and we haven't seen each other since, but I mean, I've I've seen your work. I feel like I've I've gotten to know you more since that point. I just wonder why our paths haven't crossed since then. It seems weird that our first meeting was our last over two years ago. I don't hang out with a lot of people who do stuff online. Like I don't even know how to meet those people because everyone's always like in their studio or in their homes. Like. I'll see yeah. people in passing at VidCon, but that's about it. Yeah, we keep our head down. You yeah. know, you, everybody's got their stuff to do. You're super busy. I mean, you've got so many different things you're doing, and uh, I mean, we're gonna get into many of those over mm. the course of this conversation, but of all the things, and I saw, like you gave a glimpse of your calendar in like a recent vlog. It was all color-coded. You got some OCD happening? I like um, a little bit of, what is it called, synesthesia, where like I associate colors with like numbers or specific ideas. Link doesn't know what dystopia means, so he's not gonna know what that (laughs) means, because I don't know what that means. Yeah. 
actually I, I didn't know everything about that. <laughs> so there you go. Um, but you, you know, your, your calendar is like so full of stuff going from this, this pilot audition to recording the podcast. I tried to pause it to see if we were on there. Mm-hmm. Like if I could look that closely to your calendar, but it felt stalkerish, so I stopped. But what are you, I mean, what are you most excited about at this point with so many things you're juggling? I'm excited to make a movie. I want to make a movie this year. Uh, I want to. So it's not even something that, are you writing it? Or no. Or it's just aspirational? It's like the next thing. It's the next thing. It's a. It's something that my uh, former assistant wrote called Wedding Wreckers. And it's very funny. Two female uh, comedians are the stars. And it's very sharp, very rated R. And so I told her I wanted to produce that. So right now I'm in legal with like optioning it and going out for financing and developing. Is that uh, one of the reasons that you've been on the short film kick lately, like trying to, you know, you're, you're doing a, a different thing on YouTube. You're doing something that not a lot of people are doing. You're making short films, like mm-hmm. actual short films. Is yeah. that in preparation for like, oh, I'm gonna do a feature? Yeah, I wanted to do a feature, I'd say three years ago, but I was like, I'm nowhere near ready for that, so I'll make as many short films as I can until that feature comes out. And we're talking as a director and talent, or not just as I've an directed. Actor. I've directed all of them. Yeah, but the film you're you're going to direct the film. No, for my first film, uh, I want to act, and learning from the short films, directing and acting are completely different sides of the brain. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm much more geared towards being like OCD and analytical, and uh, very much in that space. So, if I do direct, my acting suffers if I'm doing both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. So, tell us about the the short film commitment that you kind of made either to yourself or to your audience, Mm -hmm. there was like a number involved, right? Yeah, at the beginning of 2014, I said I was gonna do 12. So I was aiming for one a month. And I was like, I don't know how realistic that is because I've never made a short film. And I only did uh, six for the whole year. But I also went through like a big breakup and like moving. And so that sent me about like two, three months behind. And so this year I'm working on another one, but I told my audience I'm going to take my time with this one because last time it would be like pre-production for one while I'm also editing the second one while I'm also, you know, in development for the third one. So everything was happening at the same time. And so I'd like to see what I can do if I really take my time with something that's maybe 20 to 30 minutes long. Well, and then you did is the most recent one Miss Earth. Is that the last big Mm -hmm. short film? And, And that one was over 13 minutes long. That was a... And it had a lot going on yeah. in it. I mean, that was a pretty major endeavor. Yeah, that was the most stressful experience of my life so yeah? far. Yeah. Directing, acting, producing. I lost some friends over it. I invested my life savings into it. It was a very good learning experience. Whoa, lost so, some friends. Yeah. Tell us about that. What did? Whose fault was that? I think it was just miscommunication and like, like expectation set. Like I'm very paranoid about treating crew really well and like paying the day of and I almost have this tendency like as a you know just as a female and also like someone who's always eager to please like going around and making sure everyone's okay and I'd worked with the same crew the entire year and so at this point I was much more not like cold but I wasn't as like serving to people and like checking in and two of my best friends thought I was a quote-unquote bitch and I was like well I'm doing three jobs and this is the biggest thing of my life so far and it's my life savings and you're not doing your your job so I need to scold you about it and that kind of led into a big fallout so I had to learn a lot of lessons about having friends on set and also being a boss and when to differentiate those two things so they stayed on set and did their job but they didn't remain friends no well, how did it the, end it ended on the very last day in the very last 10 minutes of of the shoot yeah 
was there were there emotional explosions involved? Oh yeah, yeah, it was really bad. Like, did spit fly or tears fall or what? Um, I cried on set a couple times during it. Um, but in that last ten minutes, yeah, it was me and my former DP screaming at each other, and I was like, "This conversation's over. Like, we're trying to wrap and get out of the studio. I we're not talking about this anymore." You're like, "It's a wrap." <laughs> <laughs> People love it when everyone's <laughs> waiting for the director to like call it's a wrap. Yeah. And you're like, Martin. This is a bad time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And oh, wow. it was everyone is uh, standing around made up like aliens all watching this happen? No, That's no. That's got to be a little weird. Yeah, yeah, it was it was very awkward. It was it was a very awkward time in my life. So what what else did you <laughs> you said you learned some things too. So what'd you learn? Yeah, I learned that, you know, Ultimately, it's about the project, and a lot of the times I want to cultivate a really good work environment, and I want to serve people in the sense of making sure everyone's comfortable and taken care of, but I also have to make sure I'm taking care of myself and I'm taking care of my project, because it's all self-financed, and so I learned a lot about being a boss. Hmm. Mm -hmm. People. People. So no one that's listening now is ever going to work for you because you just said that. <laughs> it's all about the product. You totally switched. No, I didn't switch completely, but I have to know what to put first. You know, like, and I had a really good convo with my dad where he was like, "Never change the way you work," because I think it's great that you try so hard to make it the best for everyone. And I've done, like I've done grip and I've done sound and I've tried to do camera op and like do every job on a set so that I know how to make that person's job easier and like know how to be a better director. Uh, but at the same time, I'm always like, oh, am I being a bitch? Or like, is this unreasonable? And I think I need to stop that more often before it gets out of hand. Are you a perfectionist? I used to be, not so much anymore. Now it's like, just do the best you can, do the best you can. You mentioned your dad. Yeah. Um, we we want to we want to find out about your people, your your family, yeah. where you're from. Uh, where were you born? Uh, Monterey, California, and then I moved every two to three years of my life till today. Is I this also a, moved. Um, a military scenario? Yeah, so, my dad's a Marine Corps. Okay. Marine Corps. So, mm -hmm. um, like Major Dad, the the old television show. Was he like? I don't know. I don't. I'm Gerald McCraney, and I'm your dad, and I come home and. Well, isn't this going to be a funny sitcom? Because I'm a drill sergeant. Does your dad? Does your dad yeah. have just a mustache? No. Okay. A flat no. top. He's and got a, a beard. Top. He had a beard most of the time. A flat top. I don't know what a flat top is. Oh, really? The marine haircut, where the hair oh. is, goes up and then it's just flat. Oh no, I've never heard it called. I used that. to have one really? in middle school. Yeah. Wow, that's sad. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. They, when you get a flat top at the barber, they give you a special brush to take home. What? Yeah, because a commemorative brush right at the top where it you know hits your the top of your scalp. It's it's like th it's standing up. It's like that tall. But in order to be flat, it's got to be a little bit taller on the sides as it goes out. And so they give you this brush to take and go over the corners to keep it up. Any, Rudolph Blanchard gave me that. Any haircut that needs a special brush, you just shouldn't get. Like, <laughs> well, I don't have it anymore. <laughs> so you moved around a lot as a kid. You said every few months. Or every few years. years. For years. Yeah. Okay, that's a little better. But yeah, it was a bummer. So uh, Monterey, where else? Uh, I've lived in Japan, Hawaii, Korea, over thirteen states. Wow. Yeah, I had a. I grew up in the South. No, I grew, up, but like I had a North Carolina accent for like a long time. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's so. what we have. Oh yeah, that, yeah. Where that, are you guys from? North Carolina. Are you? Yes. Shut I up. I thought you were yeah. saying that 
because you're like no, I as know. a point of reference. But yeah, North Carolina. So you had a North Carolina accent? Explain yeah. that. I grew up, and when I was learning how to talk, I was in North Carolina. What part, Fayetteville? Uh, Cherry Point. It's a Cherry base. Point. Okay, mm-hmm. outside of Jacksonville. Yeah. yeah. So it was it was interesting to be like this little Asian person with a with an accent. Well, that part of North Carolina is pretty distinct. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Eastern North Carolina. Yeah. If, and, and I, in fact, interesting as you mentioned that because uh, I won't I won't mention names. But uh, somebody that we know, his sister, who grew up in California, just moved to Cherry Point oh, really? with her military husband. <clears throat> and I was asking him, how are they? Because they moved from uh, San Clemente, awesome beach town, California. And I know what Cherry Point is like. It's like, how are they doing? And he was like, she cries every day. <laughs> you know, it's a, it, I mean, I, nothing against Sorry North Carolina. Sorry you're in Cherry Point right now <laughs> listening to this. But, but no, uh, it's just different. You go from, you go from this, you know, amazing uh, beach town to a military town in Eastern North Carolina. That's not easy. I, I mean, never did it, want to leave LA. Did it, um, did that lifestyle growing up, uh, did that prove to be challenging for you? It's, I have habits that I shouldn't have. Like I, I mirror people a lot. Like if I want to fit in or I want people to like me, I just mirror their body language and their speech. I do it like a lot really subconsciously or I'll like chameleon my personality to kind of match theirs or be complimentary. Uh, so it, it's it's had a lot of identity issues growing up of mm. like, wait, what am I really like if I'm not influenced by people I'm around? Did you experience any racism in the South? Yeah. Yeah, I remember I moved and someone was like, go back to China, Chink. And I was like, I was born here. <laughs> so it was weird. So you didn't have a volatile response to that. You just tried to explain yourself. Yeah, I mean, I always felt white inside. I didn't really realize I was a minority till much, much later in life. So mm-hmm. that was like, oh, oh, that's weird. Right. Yeah. Felt white inside. So wh- what, when was the realization? Uh, probably like when I was eight. And me and my friends were playing like Spice Girl dress up and like I wasn't allowed to be any of the Spice Girls. So I was like, oh, that's, hmm. oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Right, because it wasn't, there, were, there was no, uh, there was no Asian There was girl. no Asian one. Hmm. I never Ooh. thought about that. Yeah. I knew something was missing. <laughs> and uh, where's your, your mom from? My mom's from the Philippines. Okay. And was she, and th- did they meet in the Philippines? So this was her, yeah. f- this was her first time in the U.S. when she came with your dad? Yeah. Her and my dad dated long distance for like two years and they moved her out here and they got married and she was pregnant with me. And so did you, what was your, I, I know a lot of times the friends, your friends can, especially in the South, I've, I've noticed this, if your mom is different, then your friends will ask questions and they kind of see that, oh, your mom talks different, your mom Mm. cooks food differently or whatever. Did you experience any of that? Um, No, my mom's always been like the very much the life of the party. So people like her quite a bit when when they meet her and they're never like off put. She'll just be like, yeah, I've eaten dog before. And people are like, what? That's crazy. (laughs) You know, she's- Have you? I have not. I have not eaten dog. She didn't, she didn't, uh, she didn't bring that dish. No, that was only when she was dirt poor and apparently like their family was starving. Oh wow! Well, uh, yeah. Then I I can understand it. Yeah. Um, I know that part of your story is just the harrowing experience of your your sister uh, passing away. So I wanted to talk about that. Mm-hmm. How many siblings do you have? I have a brother. He's younger. Younger too. Mm-hmm. We're about we're each like two three years apart. Okay. Yeah. So he was next, and then your sister was the youngest of three. Yes. Okay. 
Tell us about that. Uh, well, it was, she was, uh, I always think she was bipolar or had some kind of mood disorder. She was very manic depressive, but I also don't know if that's just because she was like a 13 year old girl going through puberty. Uh, but she committed suicide in like 2007, right around the time all the cyberbullying was kind of happening. She got threatened by a bunch of guys at her school that they were going to beat her up. And so she brought a BB gun to protect herself because she had told her teacher and her teacher didn't say anything. And this is before like all those suicides started happening. Mm -hmm. So bullying wasn't something really on our social radar. Mm -hmm. And uh, she got expelled from school for bringing that BB gun and kind of like spiraled into this depression and eventually killed herself. How close were you? We were pretty close. I mean, we would fight as much as we would be friends, just like Which sisters. Which is typical yeah. sisters, that's that's what you you gotta do. There's yeah. almost like something you sign to say, yes, I will be a good sister. Yeah. I Meaning we will fight, so yeah. I, I get that. I mean. Do you remember finding out, like how you found out? Yeah, it was uh, Valentine's Day, and she had fought with like every member of our family, and then had come to me, and we fought. And it was so weird, because like the last thing I ever said to her was like, I hate you, like go away. And then uh, I went to the park with my boyfriend at the time to like surprise him with a picnic. And then there were like fire trucks and like ambulances going by at one point. And like we didn't think anything of it. But then I got like this really like weird feeling. And it's the only time I've been like, maybe I'm psychic because it, uh, inexplicably I was just like, we have to go. There's something really wrong. We have to go. And so we packed up the picnic and my brother called me while we were packing up. And he was like, what am I about to say is going to change your life forever, Christina tried to kill herself and so we got home and paramedics were like leading her out and i remember they were like joking about something and like well, laughing did, what did what did she what did she do oh she hung herself in the closet with like one of her scarves yeah and my brother had only found out because she was playing the same song on repeat like at the loudest volume ever in her room and so finally he came in to be like can you please shut that off and then he couldn't find her and then he found her in the closet so it's always been like, oh man, like my brother definitely had the hardest job being mm. the one to find her. Um, but she had been dead, I guess, for something like 15 minutes. So they couldn't bring her back. And even if they could, they said she would have suffered intense brain damage. So when, mm. as you showed up as they were wheeling her out. Yeah. And, you and did, that, at that time you didn't know whether it was, it was she had actually died. Cause you said, yeah. she, your brother said she had attempted it. Yes. Yeah, we all kind of thought it would be okay because they put uh, like the breathing masks over her. So I thought she was going to be okay. But my dad knew based on like trying to give her CPR and like her lock jaw and stuff that like she was, there was no chance. Well, yeah, I appreciate your candor and just being able to share this with us. And I know that you, you've chosen places to, uh, to bring it up um, and you've vlogged about it extensively and, uh, your please don't kill yourself video that you made. Mm -hmm. And even as, you know, it was extremely powerful uh, to see you be that vulnerable in that video and to honestly process, e even in kind of a meta way, the fact that you were making the video. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I found it to be extremely powerful and honest that you not only were talking about it, but you were talking about talking about it because mm -hmm. there's so many questions associated with what you know presenting this to to your audience mm -hmm. or to the internet at large as it was uploading i read the i found myself reading the description that 
evidently you were writing as the video was uploading where you seem to still be processing kind of uh, like journaling just stream of consciousness with the vlog as it was uploading, uh, wrestling with uh, how people might perceive you speaking about it. Mm -hmm. And then I keep reading down and you read the comments and it's, you know, it's it, it's extremely powerful and effective in, in getting people to pause and to think about it. At no point is it easy to mm -hmm. talk about. And I even feel, I'm, I'm, you know, I appreciate your candor here, but it's even getting you to talk about it now is getting you to go back to a place where you've all, that has to be so painful that you've been on, you've gone on record that, you know, I, I find myself having the same dialogue that I think you had when you vlogged the thing. Is it, should, should we even talk about this? Should I bring this up? Is it to benefit anyone? Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess I just summarize and resonate. I, with your struggle. Mm. And so how much of that defines who you are as a person and as a, um, as a person who, who vlogs, a communicator, a creator? Oh God, like a hundred percent. Like that moment is my before and after. Like before my sister committed suicide, I could not talk to people. I was so shy, like if I had to use the bathroom someplace, I would like whisper to my brother and my sister, like please find out where the bathroom is. And like, I'd always wanted to perform, but it was like crippling. I was like, I'll, I'll never do that. I'll never be able to be that kind of person. And Christina was the complete opposite. She was fearless. Like I love this story that like in middle school, every year she would go in the talent show with her friends and she would choreograph a dance. And every year, everyone would bail. And so she would go up on the stage and do that whole choreographed dance by herself. <laughs> and at a certain point, it was just like, who the f are these friends of yours? But <laughs> like how fearless and like brave of you to do. And so after she died, I'd say like maybe two or three years after that, like I really realized like there's no point in really being afraid because death was finally something that I felt like I really understood uh, in, in that sense of like, we really don't know what's after this, so I might as well try to make this the best that it can be for me. And it feels like kind of cliche of like, yeah, death gave me perspective, and now I'm going to be a comedian. Um, but ultimately, I think it's the best and the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. Was there ever a sense that because she, Christina, you said was her name? Yes. Uh, was a... She was a performer, and she was she was fearless. Mm. That now that she was gone, it was kind of your job to sort of take that up. Was there a sense of that? Well, all three of us had always wanted to be performers since we were young. It was like a very common thing, like we shared, and so we'd like perform for each other or with each other. But definitely, when she died, it was this pressure of like, oh, I have to do it for the both of us now. Hmm. Um, and I think she would she would be happy with it, you know. Like I've finally just started to do stand up about it. Um, it's taken me seven years, but I'm like, okay, how can I try to make this funny? Like, that's the ultimate part. Because I couldn't, I could not laugh about it for the longest time. And anytime someone said in the conversation, like, oh, if I had to sit in traffic for one more hour, I'd kill myself. It would just, it would set me off. Or like hmm. hearing people, the way we use suicide in common language. Um, but now I'm okay. And now I can crack jokes about it. And that's, that's what I feel like has been the most healing. Was there, I mean, guilt that you had to deal with or? Oh, Yeah. I mean, I was the last one to talk to her, and I was like, "I hate you. Go away forever." So, it therapy really helped. Huh. In your vlog, you say, "Everywhere you turn, it's there," meaning that the the fact that 
she took her own life. Mm. Um, you said, I'm a different person. I don't know if it's for the better or for the worse. Mm -hmm. And I mean, these are not, this is obviously from the heart. You're just kind of processing this thing. Do you know if it's for the better or the worse? Is it? I don't, but I try to consciously make it for the better. How are you a different person? Um, I'm a different in the sense that I'm, no longer afraid of a lot of the stuff that I used to be afraid of. I am, I go after what I want more. Um, I kind of try to take everything that I have and make it work for me. Um, and yeah, it kind of, it does kind of, it's like the filter through which a lot of my decisions are made. And do you remember how your, how did it change everybody else? How did it change your parents? How did it change your brother? Well, and my, your relationship with them. And we've never been like a close-knit family. Like dinner would be ready and we'd all get our dinner and go to our rooms. Like my parents are very hardcore gamers, so they would always be in front of the computer or Sega Genesis or whatever. And me and my brother would be off on our own space. And so after she died, that kind of exacerbated. It brought us together briefly, but then we all kind of like went to go process our grief on our own. And now it's now it's much different. I'm able to be like completely honest with my parents without the fear of judgment or without the fear that they'll get angry with me. And I mean, I, I dropped out of college even though they didn't want me to and moved out here despite their protests. And even though they were like, well, are you sure you don't want to go to college and get a degree? And da, 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 They were still happy with my decision. And so my parents used to be very typical Asian parents, like uptight and get an education and get a good job. But after this happened, they sort of realized like, no, we just want you to be happy. Like we, we realize that there's a lot of stuff that we've been doing wrong. And so we just want you guys to go do what you want and we will support you and be supportive of that. So do you remember the first thing that, you know, as you were processing, you said it took two or three years. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it led you to that change that occurred within you is what led you to where you're at right now. So mm -hmm. do you remember the first sort of application of that change? Like I'm going to go and perform in this way or? Yeah, I, uh, it was like, I think two years after she died, I was watching a Comedy Central special and it was the first time I had laughed in those two years. Hmm. And so I was like, I'm gonna go do stand up. And so I pursued stand up from like 19 to 22. What was the special? Do you remember the It was comic? just a compilation. It was like Gabriel Iglesias and Margaret Cho and they had some Mitch Hedberg up in there. It was just, I watched it I think for a couple hours and I just, I fell in love with how much I was laughing. So I was like, I wanna do that. I can do that. And where were you living at the time? Uh, Temecula, California. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very boring, very small. So what did you do specifically? I started writing jokes in a notebook and recalling everything funny that I thought had ever happened in my life. And then I booked a show. I, my first time I went up, I had eight minutes. It was very weird. Because uh, normally you'll do an open mic when you start out for, with like three minutes. Yeah. But I had an eight minute set and all my friends came out and uh, my parents came out. And that, the first time they saw me do stand up was when they really started to get it. And we're like, oh no, go ahead, leave college. You oh, do really? You. Yeah. So that was the first because you time. said I'm leaving college to do comedy before you had ever done one stand up gig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah. self fulfilling prophecy here. Your your mm -hmm. pa your parents bought in, mm -hmm. and that's when you just moved. Did you move with anybody? Just just uh, you and your lonesome. A high school friend. A high school friend and I moved in together with my three cats. We lived in Marina Del Rey. Hmm. Yeah. And then what? 
I did comedy for a few years. Like and then stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy. And then I started doing a bunch of web series. And then I got a very crippling social anxiety. So I quit stand-up for like three years. Uh, but I went back in it. So what 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 happened? Was there something that precipitated it specifically? I don't know. It was like the better my set got, the more and more worried I was. And I, I can't really explain what it was. It was just like this unexplainable angst of like knowing, oh my God, I'm going to be on stage tomorrow. Like I should leave town. I should tell them my grandma died and like cancel the show. Hmm. And uh, I think it was just like having never gone to therapy to like deal with all my It was that building up. So it, it wasn't that you fell flat on your face in embarrassment. It was within your mind? Yeah. And it was a little bit self-sabotaging. Like sometimes I would make decisions that would purposefully lead me down a dark road because of the guilt and like this feeling of like, oh no, I shouldn't be allowed to succeed. So would you just, you wouldn't show up at things or you just said, I'm not booking things anymore? Uh, I just completely stopped doing it. So once my last show was up, I like didn't book any more shows and I like didn't go to any more open mics and I just stopped for three years, yeah. And so what happened in those three years? Did you stay YouTube. here? <laughs> YouTube. Okay. Because I was like, I can be home alone. I don't have to be with anyone. I can just make videos in my house. So It's interesting because that the transition um, from, you know, sort of getting into stand-up comedy and then moving to YouTube is, is that's happened several times, more than, more than a few times. But usually it's people being in front of an audience in a, you know, Chinese restaurant or someplace where you, why am I doing stand up here? And you're like, why am I doing this for 20 people when I could be doing it for 20,000 people on the internet? Mm -hmm. For you, interestingly, it was, I am intimidated by this and I have a social anxiety about this, this group of people that I'm seeing. So I'm going to go on the internet where more people will see me, but I'm more comfortable in a yeah. With my surroundings. I can deal with a troll, you know, but I couldn't deal with so, like a bunch of people smiling at me at a show. Well, right. So let's come back to YouTube, but let's skip ahead to going back on stage for the first time three years later. Yeah. What was that like? Um, I'd been wanting to do stand-up again for a year or so. I like had the itch and I was like, I think because I ran away from that, I should go back to it and I should confront it. And uh, I started writing again, so I wrote like a bunch of like suicide jokes, and it's taken me a lot of open mics to like figure out where the punchlines are, because, <laughs> and it's still a little bit wonky because people don't know that it's okay to laugh. Like mm, right. it takes them like three or four jokes in to be like, okay, I'm allowed to laugh with you with this. Um, but it's been great. I like it, it's funny because now I'm like I made a, I made a video that a hundred thousand people saw this morning. Like this bar full of four people's nothing, mm -hmm. and so it's it's been fun to like go from a two hour line of people wanting to take a picture to like going to a bar and like drinking alone till it's my turn to go on stage, <laughs> you know? Do you get backlash for the suicide jokes? Like, I mean, do you mention your story specifically mm -hmm. or is it ice just isolated from that you're talking about? It's even... very personal. With stand up, like p the more personal it is, yeah. somehow the more relatable it is. But so do it's... you get blowback at that point? That Not from the audience. Like, Can you, well, yeah, how could you exploit that uh, experience mm -hmm. for laughs. Yeah, I've I've heard that online, um, but I've created jokes to like address it. And also it's like this weird thing of like, no, you should feel worse about the terrible thing that happened in your you life. You shouldn't yeah. get over this. Stop or, yeah. making light of this tragic event. Yeah. So it, I don't take it personally. I'm like, that's if you can't see what I'm doing on stage, that's your own problem with your own life. But no one has confronted you face to face Correct. about it. Correct. 
find that interesting in, yeah. a, in, in a good way. That, well, I find it fascinating that it, it fits the profile of a troll that, yeah. you know, and, and maybe there's a, there's actual, when you're there in the room, it, it conveys mm-hmm. in such a way that people get it. Yeah. And, you know, it's slowly but surely the more confident you get in your jokes. I'm you sure know? if you pass around papers, someone <laughs> will still say something like a jerk. Yeah. But they're, but they're, you know, if they don't have to sign their name to right. it and yeah. pass it back it's up not, front. It's no longer I'm going to pass around some little <laughs> comet-shaped sheets of paper. Well, you should try that. I should. I should. They could give you they could send thumbs up or thumbs down try that? to the stage. Okay, well, we can't talk about your YouTube uh, without talking about Ray William Johnson. Okay. How do we talk about Ray? Just tell tell us. You tell how us to how do we this. talk about that? You can yeah. tell. I'm candid. If I can't say anything, I won't say anything. You know. But I'm open to talking about it. Start at the beginning. Uh, Ray and I met in 2012 at a showcase, and I think I'd I'd met him once before that. I was like a a hoe on breaking. For like one of my friends was like, I need someone just to be in a pretty dress and come down and do this for like an hour. So I did it for her. And then we later met and then we started dating. And I think like three months later, we like moved in together. So when you say showcase, you met at a showcase. This is a stand up. It's a sketch. It was a sketch showcase for CBS. Okay. For them to be like, we're not racist. Look at all these people of color on our stage. Yeah. Yeah. And he was just in the audience? No. Or was he in it? The VP of casting, Fern Orenstein, invited him because her sons were fans of him. And so she watched him and she was like, oh, this kid's really funny. So she brought him into the showcase versus like the rest of us were like auditioning to try to get into the showcase. He was an invitation. Gotcha. But he mm-hmm. performed. Yes. And, and in the sketch, in one of the sketches. Oh, several of them. Yeah. We were all in like several different ones. So what was your first interaction with him? Did you know, did you know him from Equals Three? No, not really. I wasn't savvy to the internet and I'd like only ever seen my episode of Breaking. So I was like, I don't understand what what this is. Like I didn't realize it was a vlog versus like a show or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Because I was merely at the time putting stuff up on YouTube. I wasn't, I didn't know it was a full-time job. I didn't know there were vloggers. I didn't know there were sketch teams on it. And so we kind of got together and my sketch group fell apart and he was like, you should keep making videos under your own name. Just learn how to clone yourself and like keep making sketches. And so that's kind of what I started doing. So you were on, you started your channel because he encouraged you to do it. Mm-hmm. And But you weren't on his channel for a while. But um, you met in three months, you 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 started dating immediately and three months later you guys were like real serious living together. Yeah. Starting to show up in Instagrams. Yeah. Those type of things. We started working together much later because he was very tentative about working with the partner and like doing stuff with, with someone you're romantically involved with. What, um, how would you describe uh, Ray's reputation publicly? Like what people think of Ray and then what's right and what's, What's wrong about that? Dispel some myths. I had the opposite. So I knew him personally before I ever saw Equals 3. And so Ray in person was always like a very serious and like somber and like hardworking and like quiet man. And then I saw his persona on Equals 3 and I was just like laughing so hard because I was like, you seem like such a dick on this show and that's not you at all. And my parents actually didn't want me to date him because that's all they had seen of him. And it wasn't until they met him in person that they were like, oh, we get it. This is like kind of like a persona or a character. So a lot of the times, like it was weird to have to tell people like he's playing a character. You know that, right? Because he's so convincing. And I always told him, I was like, you have a face. You just have that face that people are like, "Mm, you look like 
<laughs> so it, it kind of like helped that persona, but it sucked for him because people would think he was like that. Did you feel like you had to clarify that? Obviously, you had to clarify it with your parents. Yeah. Was, did you have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder when it came to friends and people that found out you were dating him? Uh, yeah, people didn't, who did not know him and who only saw his content on the internet had an opinion of him and I had to constantly be like, that is not who he is. He's a generous, hardworking, very kind person. That's a character. But it was also really interesting because a lot of my friends who thought that were actors and like did have characters. So it was like, why can't you get it, you know? Right, yeah. yeah. Just, uh, something lost in the genre, yeah. I, I guess, uh, of, a, of a YouTube video. Right, the presentation is that this guy's being himself and he's just talking about videos. Mm -hmm. So I could get that, mm -hmm. right? It, it's a it's a quick assumption, but it, I wouldn't say it's fair, but it's it's an easy assumption. Absolutely. And it might be a safe assumption given the, given the breadth of, like I'll say vloggers. Yeah. You know? Um, when did you begin to experience internet hate because I'm sure that came as soon as the, the very first time you appeared in anything publicly yeah he was like find your voice make a video however often you're gonna make a video and then once I like kind of nailed what I felt like my thing was he started promoting me and uh, yeah people were just like oh you tell us da -da 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 -da. Um, and it used to like really bug me and that's when I kind of got it because he used to like get upset about trolls or be like, why do people like hate me so much? You know, which is a very natural thing to feel when you get a lot of hate on the Internet. And I would be like, it doesn't matter. They're not a part of your life. Don't let it get to you. And then when it's at you, it's like, oh, God, this is a totally different feeling. It's so easy for me to say one thing, but feel the other. And mm -hmm. so it's been a constant battle. But you were. So you were learning the ropes of this. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was at the top of YouTube mm -hmm. at the same time. Yeah. So you were there for, and he was very, my impression was that he, you know, he had a tendency to isolate himself. Mm -hmm. Like, he, I mean, he wasn't, you know, whenever you show up at YouTube events or like you never meet Ray. Yeah. Like um, he was, he was an island. And he, still is. He had a fair a amount of, of social anxiety. So crowds he didn't like to do, like any kind of social event. He got very anxious about it. Um, and it's something that he dealt with in his own way. But yeah, it, it was this weird, inaccessible thing. But also like primary, primarily, I think he's a producer and an actor. And so he already experienced a lot of bias in the traditional world being like, oh, no, you're that guy on the Internet. You're that guy who does stuff in your bedroom and didn't want to perpetuate that. And you were the uh, the lead in Riley Rewind, which mm -hmm. was his first, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the first foray on his channel into something that didn't feature him. Yes. I mean, now you see he's he's basically not on there. He's not the face of his channel anymore. Mm -hmm. Um I think Riley Rewind was the first thing, right? Yeah. Which was certainly, I mean, that was a collaborative effort on initially, you, between you two? Uh, initially, I wrote it for my channel because I was like, I want to do scripted. Like, at that point, I had a, kind of a significant following, but everyone didn't believe I was an actress or a stand-up comedian. And so I was like, oh, that makes sense. I have to put stuff on the internet that I want to be seen as. So I wrote it, and he really liked it and was like, I'll produce this. Like, I want to produce stuff, and I'll direct it. And so that was our first real collaborative effort of 
bringing something narrative on and, YouTube. And how did you guys make the decision to put it on his channel? Was that the once he saw it and liked it, he was like, "Well, we'll put this on equals three. Yeah, yeah. He 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 sunk a lot of money into it, and he was like, "I want it to have the best possible chance of getting a lot of views, and maybe we can sell it to television. So we'll put it on my channel." And how was that process of collaborating? It was good. I mean, we had a lot of a lot of tough things happen on that shoot and a lot of like the budget was missing and like a lot of the people on board we were like what's happening there's all these miscommunications but ultimately we were really happy with how it turned out and then you you've you also collaborated in a number of different ways you guys did a podcast together mm -hmm. and i mean you you know you became a youtube public power couple, couple. yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i like working with the person i'm with it's just how I, especially in this industry when you're on set for like 12 hours a day like why wouldn't I want to be with my partner on set for 12 hours a day so it was something that I was always on board with and something that I kind of pushed ultimately um but I liked it I mean I don't have any regrets so the collaborations that you were pushing that yeah did I mean did you either a feel like the first lady of YouTube when he because he's <laughs> at number one yeah or uh resent people treating you that way it was a little bit of of both, you know, like it was great because any questions I had, he could answer and give like really good business advice on. And so it was it was this nice relationship of being able to talk out stuff business wise. But then again, it would suck because I would have people come out of the woodwork who would like try to contact me to get through to me to get to him or we would go to places mm -hmm. and people would like push me out of the way to like get to him. And so it was a little bit of both. Um so were you behind the controversial tweets to like make her and stuff like that? Say, here, let me let me handle that for you. <laughs> no, I encouraged it because a lot of stuff happened behind the scenes that never made it public publicly. And um, it was at a point where I was like, you're going to get completely screwed um, unless you do something. So I, I did support that decision. And then why'd you guys break up? Um, I think power dynamics. I mean, as you said, he was at the top of YouTube and I was at the bottom, you know, I, I, and I feel like now that I'm at, a, at that kind of, I'm not at the top of it, but I'm at a place where I'm successful. Like I would be kind of like weary of someone wanting to work with me and like maybe question their motives or something like that. And I mean, he sustained me financially, like helped me quit my waitressing job so that I could pursue stuff creatively and did a lot for me, but I think ultimately I was more like the Robin to his Batman than the, than the Superman to his Batman. Are you guys still friends? Well, we haven't talked. I mean, I. Well, how did it end? Oh, uh, we it was kind of mutual. We both decided to just cut off all contact and and go our separate ways. Hmm. Yeah. And you, so no contact since. Yeah. So it's that that was just the agreement. The agreement wasn't. It wasn't, I, I hate you, I'm never talking to you again. It was like, this is how we're going to do this. We're going to do this yeah. in a way that we don't talk to each other anymore. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of like the girl about it and I would call him and then be like, I don't wanna do this anymore. Like, uh, be my friend. And then it was just like, no, to get over each other, like you have to go away. So that's how it's been. And shortly after that, mm. uh, well, I mean, basically when it happened, you were pretty public about the fact that you guys had broken up, you know, because mm. people find out that kind of stuff anyway. So you yeah. kind of owned up to it. And, and he, then, but he, then he privated, like we can't, you can't see the podcast where you guys were together. No, I mean, That's it's gone. on, it's on iTunes and I get that, you know, like sometimes to get over someone, especially on the internet, cause like someone tweets me about him every day mm -hmm. or like I see several comments. It's hard to get over someone if, yeah. if you're constantly reminded of them. Right. So I get that. And you, but you also made essentially a 
public vow, you're like, I'm gonna be single for a year. <laughs> And you talk about this in the, uh, I, I'm sure you talked about it more than once, but I, yeah. uh, I saw it in at least your uh, the Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe video. Yes. Why'd you do it? I had a friend who did it, and I thought it was really cool. And so I wanted to present the extremist side, because I also knew I was going to do that Daniel Radcliffe video. So it was a strategic move of being like, I'm going to publicly announce this extremist point of view, and then I'm going to do the follow-up with the Daniel Radcliffe video of Daniel Radcliffe telling me to stop being an extremist, because I have been a serial monogamist. And then vowing to be single, uh, I thought was the complete opposite of that. And so I was like, I want to present both of those sides in different videos, and then I want to have the, somewhere to meet in the middle with freaking Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Did you literally have a ring? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, had you had you did your friend do that same thing too? Before? She didn't do the ring part. The ring part was a joke, but she actually did. I didn't see that video. What's single. the ring? Because uh, that's Lord of the Rings, not Harry Potter. I'm confused. No, like I bought myself a wedding ring. I was like, I'm single for a year, so I'm married to myself. Oh, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, did that? Did you notice that that worked in public? Like a guy would come up to you, and he would like he would see the ring, and he would back off did it have its intended effect uh no not really i mean i didn't wear it for that long i would wear it for fun out in public to, okay. to be like whatever but no <laughs> but it didn't you didn't make it a year no i never intended to okay yeah i was always like i'll just go with the flow of whatever happens and then you met brad yeah yeah how, how did that happen uh, Brad was the, he runs a couple of shows at Nerd Melt, at Meltdown yep. Comics, mm -hmm. and he was the host for a show that me and my friend Megan Rosati, we do comedy songs together live. So we did a song there, and, that, and they've been longtime friends, so that's how I was introduced to him. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I was going to ask you this question. I'm, gonna, I'm still going to ask you the question. <laughs> uh, but then you, you specifically said something that kind of speaks to it. Uh, and talking about your the reason you broke up with Ray being the power dynamics, mm -hmm. and it's kind of reversed in the in this situation, right? I'm not, yeah. uh, you know, when it, when it comes to the public perception of you and your success, and then if you're just talking about YouTube, ind you know, independently, you know, Brad's getting his footing on YouTube. He's doing a lot of stuff with you. Mm -hmm. He's Robin to your Batman. So, how, what what is how's that dynamic different now that she's on the other foot? I think he does so much live comedy. And that's kind of what I wanted to get more into when we had met. And so it was this great aspect of like him wanting to do more video and me wanting to do more live comedy. And I think, I don't think of our power dynamics as uneven because he's such a good character actor who comes from like a groundlings background and is like so talented in that mm -hmm. regard and very capable. Like I was surprised most men aren't very organized, at least the ones that I've met. And he's incredibly like organized and thoughtful in that sense. I mean, I, am I more successful in terms of like online? Yes. Am I more financially stable? Yes. But uh, I also know how to avoid any kind of like weird power hijinks because of my previous relationship. Mm. And so now if I'm like, Oh, maybe we shouldn't do this because I don't want it to affect how I see you or how e how equal we are in this partnership. Give us an example. Um, like, okay, uh, like he has a, a web series and he wanted me to act in it, and I was like, "Well, am I going to be obli how obligated am I to promote this?" <laughs> and so, you know, because it is a thing. I mean, our promotion mm -hmm. is kind of our power online, and so he would be like, "I don't expect you to promote it." in any way whatsoever. And so I was like, cool. And so when going into- Why didn't you want to promote it? Explain that. I do, but I don't want to be cast because of that. And so I, I just, I like, now I'm on a binge of like, if anything comes up, just ask, just clarify, just be as honest as, po as possible. And like, 
express my worries or my concerns and that's been very beneficial Mm -hmm. and so anytime i feel like that's going to happen or like with the with we do a podcast as well explain things to me which is like educational sci-fi or science stuff and so i'd be like well what's our role in this like if i'm fronting all of the money to get it started how are you going to contribute are you doing all the editing are you doing all the producing and so we make sure going into everything that we feel like we're both equal Hmm. equal Mm. yeah and so what's the What's the equality split? What, how do you what's how do you divide that up for say the podcast? For the podcast, like I front all the money for it. He takes care of all of the DIT. He takes care of all the editing. He also works in conjunction with my assistant to make sure everything is produced correctly. And so we both feel like we're contributing equally to this project, unless it's something that we agree. Oh, you're the boss on this one, and I'll be the boss on the next one. And how much conflict is happening? Because because you've made. In order to promote the podcast, you made a uh, a comedic vlog where you kind of, it was tongue in cheek, you were kind of a tyrant. Yeah. So you kind of hit it head on. Yeah. The audience perception of, oh, she's working with her boyfriend. Yeah. Again. Yeah. And she's, you were making fun of yourself of like being in charge. Yeah. I mean, that's just who I am as a person. I'm always, not like bossy, but very assertive and very like, no, I want to do things. I want to do them right. So, I'd so say, why is that not bossy? Um, I don't know. Cause you I'm, just don't I'm like not, the word or you're really not I bossy? I think the word bossy is so negative. I don't, I don't like the connotation of bossy because it's just feminism. And, yeah. Yeah. So... I don't know. Our main conflict comes from me being really grumpy and like Brad having to bear the brunt of me being cranky. But he's very calm and like chill and like, no, it's cool. You're a human being. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah. so he uh, he can he can take it. Yeah, he, he weathers the storms. Yes, it's like you know, I'm fire and he's like sand. <laughs> and and you are. I mean, you're doing so many things. Uh, now mm-hmm. you know your the, the podcast the your channel uh, talking about a movie you've got the pilot auditions yeah yeah Geek and Sundry series mm-hmm. what's that called a uh, craft lab craft lab so all types of stuff uh, are you you feel like you're doing too much sometimes yeah sometimes yes um, especially because I'm also in all the improv schools right now. And like on two different improv teams, and like constantly trying to make more sketch, but uh, I really like working, really like it. So I'll keep, I'll probably keep <laughs> overbooking my schedule. So what? What's your? How does that impact personal health? Like you seem to be pretty healthy yeah. and happy. Yeah, I am. I try to make enough time to like take care of myself, you know, and like hang out with friends and like make sure I get that one night off a week where I can just stay in bed and like watch a bunch of Netflix. So uh, to make sure I don't become too much of a workaholic, I also put stuff on my task list schedule of like make sure you get lunch with a friend this week or make sure you like chill for an hour. But if you had to choose, is it the film that you talked about at the top? Is it? Is it the landing the role in the, in the sitcom that you're auditioning for in pilot season? You know, if you did have the power mm-hmm. to decide what the big thing was, what would it be? It would definitely be landing a steady acting gig, like in a great TV show or a dope movie. But I would probably still do all the other stuff on top of that. But you, your ultimate passion, and interestingly, because you said at the top that you have to use two different parts of your brain for directing and acting. Mm. That means that if you had to make that choice, you would be doing the 
exercising the acting muscle. Yeah, definitely. It's the most fun. It's the least amount of responsibility on set. Everyone is so nice to you. Yeah, and, yeah. You're, and you're usually not paying for it. You're getting paid. Yes, yes. That's a, that's a nice thing. Yeah, it's great. I mean, producing your own stuff is amazing as well, but it is so much work that once in a while it would be nice to act and then go into a trailer and write and then go back on stage and act, you know? Right. Yeah, all that downtime. Is Brad, how, how do you think he, he has dealt with your success? Because you kind of talked about how you see him and the things that he's done well. What is it like, What? how is your relationship with him? You're like, okay, I remember what it was like when I was with Ray and I got, yeah. he got recognized. How's Brad is an anomaly. He is the only person I will ever know who like peaked in high school, but <laughs> keeps peaking in life. You know what I mean? Like, like the one word to describe him would just be kind. He's like best friends with a very successful screenwriter and like knows everyone in this town, but is never jealous of anyone's success. He'll get jealous if someone has like a really good idea or a really good character, but he's everyone who knows him is like he is such a supportive and helpful and generous person. So he wants you to get that acting. Yeah, that gig. He he's wants- so supportive. Like he would, he wants to go to VidCon and just like hang out the whole time. And I'm like, wouldn't you be bored like sitting next to me for two hours at a signing? He's like, no, man, I think that's great. I just want to watch <laughs> you meet your fans. I think that's amazing. So he's he's a very very special person. Well, it sounds like you're in a great place, and we're super happy for you. Oh, thank um, you. People are going to tweet at you afterward. Okay. And what do you what do you you probably need to just go ahead and tell you tell them. What to not tweet about the Ray stuff? I'd prefer if people didn't because it would make my life easier. Yeah. 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 Sorry, we had to bring it up. That's okay. It's a podcast. (laughs) I expected to talk about everything. (laughs) Did we miss anything? Ah, no, I don't think so. Is there anything else I'm known for besides (laughs) suicide and relationships? (laughs) Okay. And, uh, and and great work, yeah. high quality yes. work on the internet. Thank yes. you. Uh, so yeah, we're fans, and thanks for hanging out with us, letting us get to know you. And there you have it, our ear biscuit with Anna Akana. Tweet at Anna using hashtag ear biscuits. Let her know what you think of the conversation. I always appreciate when I look through the hashtag ear biscuits, uh, I search by that. And I just, I love it. I when, only search Twitter by that. <laughs> only. I, I love it when I see that you guys are talking back to our guests and they come back up to us and say, you know, I'm still hearing about my. Uh, episode on ear biscuits, uh, and it's meaningful to them. So it makes a difference. They see it, we see it. Uh, Anna will see it. Her Twitter handle is Anna Akana. Lots of A's and lots of N's in one K. A double N A A K A N A. That's three, four, five. That's five, five A's. A's. Wow. Three N's in one, one K. lonely K in you, any random order. Well, no, in a no, very specific order. In a specific order. Uh, Anna is a great example of somebody who uh, took a very difficult circumstance in her life and turned it into a positive. And I, I'm always inspired by that because when you experience something traumatic, when you experience something that's incredibly difficult, those are crossroads in people's lives. And you know, it's interesting. We get to talk to a lot of people who have uh, accomplished a lot. You know, we're talking to people who've done mm-hmm. a lot in the entertainment industry and, and mostly the YouTube industry. Uh, for every Anna 
they're somebody who let an event define them in a negative way. I think that sh- that should be encouraging for people out there who are going through something difficult that even as something as difficult as your little sister committing suicide, which is an, a, a horrific thing that you would never wish on anyone, uh, it's a crossroads in your life and it's up to you to how are you going to react to that and how are you going to deal with that? Are you gonna let it define you in a negative way? Are you gonna let? It, are you gonna ultimately overcome that and you know let it define you in a positive way? And there's no track for that. I, I can't prescribe that. I no. haven't had that kind of thing happen to me. Right. But you can look at somebody like her as an example of like you can. Uh, she's never gonna. There's no doubt she's ever gonna get over. She's never gonna sure. get over it. But it can. Uh, you know, she's incorporated it into her story. In but a positive she's moving. Way. She's moving forward with it. Yeah. As part of who she is. Um. And you know, I think I from a lot of your biscuits, you see. Plenty of successful, uh, great people who've overcome or who have dealt with or who are still carrying some some hardship or some level of adversity that I can't even imagine. So uh, that's I count it a privilege to be able to have these conversations. I'll go. Uh, I'll add something to Anna's story. You know, I really wanted to dig in to the specifics of her vlog. Please don't kill yourself because she spoke. Er, there were so many things happening. It's such an, it wasn't that she had dealt with something and then she put it out there as an example. Um, she, she put out there the honest place that she was at. I mean, this is, this was uh, six years after the event and it, it was still extremely painful, but she was being raw and honest and having the conflict in the in the video with herself and conflict with herself in the description as the video was uploading to figure out it just to deal with how she communicates and how she talks about it and so i'm extremely encouraged that just her honest uh way that she just put that out there in that vlog people responded to it and that's one of the instrumental ways that she became a positive example and a, and a, a light to other people when it comes to suicide prevention. But she, you could tell that she, it was not calculated. No. You know, she was afraid that it was going to be seen as a calculation in the other direction, like a calculation for views. She, she you know, she said that because, in the description. Be, because there are plenty of people who would do that. Who would do that. Um, I'm just grateful that she decided to post it anyway and that she was completely honest. There's, you know, I think about, if something horrible were to happen to me, I have a, you know, we have a connection with our fans, but it's like, how would we deal? You know, I would, I'd want to, you know, my instinct would be to be very private for a certain amount of time, but at a certain point, do you just present how you processed it? Or do you let the people who know you through the internet become, get window into the process well, itself? That's an interesting thing. It's also thing. interesting because we don't use uh, we don't use our platforms that we have, like with Good Mythical Morning or really even Ear Biscuits, as an opportunity to uh, tell you, like, we, I mean, we talk about stuff, more personal stuff in Good Mythical More, but it's still kind of lighthearted. I mean, that's we that's a decision that we've we've made to be like we're we're going to tell you about ten people who ha- had weird sure, stuff sure. in their stomachs or whatever. I, I'm not saying that. It, it would be a path that we would need to take. I'm just observing that when she chose to do that, even though I don't know that she fully realized the impact and the way that that vlog would come across, that there was a power in 
processing it honestly and not having all the answers or not have landed somewhere, uh, but just putting that out there. Yeah. And that was extremely powerful. Yeah, and I appreciate her uh, coming on here and talking candidly even more about that and other things. Thanks again to Anna, and thanks to you, Ear Biscuitier, for listening. And uh, hopefully you will be back again next week because you know what? We will. We'll be here baking a biscuit. Bye.